At the top of the show today, I just want to give a special shout out to all the businesses, all the entrepreneurs and all the staff, particularly those in hospitality, high street retail and close contact services who will be really hurting right now with the, with the new lockdowns after all the tough stuff we've already had to deal with in business earlier on this year. Now, with the important Christmas period being compromised for many of these businesses, it's going to be a really, really tough time. Do you know what it is? I want to tell you something here. Your job is to not let this period define you forever. I have been there with the property crash in 2008 when I got totally wiped out. And I'm promising you this. It might not feel like it right now, but there's going to be lots of opportunity on the other side of this mess. The main question you have to decide if you're an entrepreneur is how best to position yourself to take advantage for that. Now, the question may be, do you bail out now to be ready to pick up those new opportunities that arise on the other side without the burden of your legacy issues? And that's in part what I did after 2008. Or do you pivot your existing business into the new opportunities, maybe they be directed towards online or delivery services, etc.? Or whether you hang in there and you just hope that the vaccine is going to come down the line and it will save you just in time. Now, they're all valid options, albeit I would advise you to steer away from the last one. But you have to decide that because the opportunities will be there on the other side. And sometimes you have to give up flogging the dead horse. But it's hard for me to guide each of the thousands of Wallaces listening to this right now. But hopefully... The answers are there. You'll find them there in the 165 episodes which have done, which have preceded this one. And I hope that they are a great resource to you at these difficult times. But okay, back to today's episode, which is 166. And in this episode, what I've decided to do is to give you a concrete example of the type of thing that you have to do to create a legacy business. I'm going to give you one of my own now. So we discussed last week, or last month, should I say, we discussed last month, Um, about creating a global vision and I've had some great feedback on that episode but what are the types of decisions or the calls that you'll have to make along that journey to put the building blocks in place as you build towards that vision now as we've discussed at the top of the show there's a lot of tough stuff going on uh, but no matter um, what you're going through today if you only have eyes on the daily grind working in your business rather than on your business then you're never going to be successful and achieve that vision. So you, you must be planning, visualizing, working towards your legacy at all times. Now, I say I'm going to use a very specific recent example from my working life of how this all works in practice. Because I know all too often you can be listening to a podcast of someone who's only ever been talking about this type of stuff in theory and doesn't actually do it in real life. And you want to sometimes just connect some real life stuff um, some of the theory to practical um, examples. So five and a half years ago, here's an example from the Wall Group. Five and a half years ago, um, I think the Wall Group had about nine premises at, at that time, and one of them was the landscape filling station on the Crumlin Road in Belfast. Now, it's anybody who knows Crumlin Road in Belfast, it's next door to Crumlin Road Goal, which is sort of a Victorian-styled prison from the old days, but it was used during the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and now it's a popular 
a tourist destination. Now, you may have heard of me talk about it before. Landscape Filling Station was my first store, and it was a cracking, absolutely cracking wee business. Uh, and it was about 400 square feet, just a bit over 400 square feet when I bought it. And we, well, we've actually knocked through the customer toilet. Sorry to all the customers. We knocked through into the customer toilet, and we took away the storeroom, and we increased the space to 968 square feet. Uh, it used to be 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. when I started running the store. And in fact, this weekend is actually the 12-year anniversary of the Wall Group, funny enough. So there's a wee bit, bit of interest for you. So I started, and within six months, I had turned it into a 24-hour store. And funny enough, when I turned it into a 24-hour store in North Belfast, uh, the area was considered uh, too dangerous at the time for a 24-hour store, so much so that I had to do the night shift myself for the first three weeks just to prove it was safe before staff would agree to do it. But anyway, I didn't think that about North Belfast, but other people did. Anyway, we doubled the turnover. We doubled the turnover in the first couple of years, and we've actually doubled it again since. The truth is, is that it's a brilliant wee business. It's well managed, a nice revenue generator for the world group as a whole. It's very compact, relatively small number of staff because there are only two tills. It's only 968 square feet, and it's a well-oiled machine. And most people, if they owned it, would probably milk it to the cows, come home and need lead a nice little life from the profits. Now, I remember, I remembered well, when I took on my second premises, it was about a year after the first one, people said to me that I was mad. Why wasn't I satisfied with that cracking wee store? It was making a good living. Why would it take the risk of going again? I was told it would suffer the same fate as it did whenever I built up to 50 properties before the crash in 2008. But I wanted more than a profitable profitable business. I wanted to transform North Belfast where our businesses are. Look, it's an area of chronic underinvestment and neglect, um, but which has many amazing people who deserve far better. So I need you to use your imagination here a little bit. I'm going to describe um, this little small petrol filling station to you at 968 square feet. It's landlocked. Uh, the premises are landlocked, so even though it's really busy, it's landlocked. So it has a listed building to one side. On the other side, it has a small road called Landscape Terrace, and then it has a funeral directors to the rear, and then to the front, it has Crumlin Road, uh, where the vehicles enter and exit the filling station. Now, I say it's totally landlocked. It's, it's impossible to expand it, even though we actually have the highest spend per square foot of any store in Northern Ireland. Now, the store, it's a complete TARDIS. A lot of people know this store and has everything in it from the best milkshakes you can buy to all the spa special offers and everything you might need for your, your tonight's dinner. Um, but we're really bursting out of the seams. It's hard we shop to keep up. It's hard to keep it stocked. Uh, particularly as we don't even have a storeroom. So we might get 30 cages come in at one time and we just put all the products straight onto the shelves. Now anyway, just on the other side of that little street that I was telling you about, Landscape Terrace, which borders us, uh, there's three quarters of an acre site covered in grass and owned by the Northern Ireland Housing Executive. Now, the Northern Ireland Housing Executive's mandate, like any other housing authority across the UK or Ireland, is to build um, houses to satisfy demand. Now, they usually do this in Northern Ireland anyway, by allocating some of their land bank to housing associations periodically who will then build houses on them to satisfy the demand. And five and a half years ago, they did just that. With a housing association, they drew up plans to build five pairs of semi-detached houses. So that's five pairs of semi-detached houses, ten houses in total on this land, just on the other side of Landscape Terrace. Now, it's literally 
four yards from our store, just on the other side of the street. Now, this land is a corner site, so it's a difficult site to design a decent housing scheme on. Now, but when the Northern Ireland Housing Executive offered this land to Housing Association and they designed the scheme, pardon me, but it looked like a bowl of fucking walrus sick. <laughs> it was like something you'd see in a rural setting in a farmer's field. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in the middle of a field in the country, but it's no good in the centre of town. Now, it was totally out of kilter with the sort of terraced housing on the outskirts of the city centre where we're based. So, but this is the beauty of it, the awfulness. So, I had no way of getting into this particular bit of land, but the awfulness of this scheme um, created my opportunity. I immediately, when I saw how bad the scheme was, and I knew it wouldn't satisfy the demands of the of, of local people, I immediately canvassed, canvassed the local community. I maybe, if I'm truthful, I maybe even stoked a little bit of disgruntlement with locals, and then I made my move. I invited the housing executive and the housing association, local representatives, local politicians, to a presentation on how I could halt urban decay in the area if I could get uh, an opportunity to participate on the development of this land. Now, my proposal was that if I utilised the land of the current filling station, so our current tiny filling station, and the housing executive land, the, the sort of three quarters of an acres, and that they were going to build the ten houses on, that looked like a farmer's feed, that looked like a bowl of flipping walrus sick. And if I combined the two of those bits of land, I could actually create 30 new jobs, return a post office to the area, create two sort of healthy food-to-go units, create 10 houses, and transform the area with the best-looking petrol filling station in the whole flipping country. Now, I quickly spent a few thousand... Now, speed of food was really important here. Because they were doing their plan application, and I had to wedge myself in. So I quickly spent a few thousand pounds on an architect to mock up some designs which I mounted on display boards and we set up a presentation in the local community hall with everyone invited, including Henderson's, who owned the spa brand here in Northern Ireland. Now, I laid on lots of Subway food and Yubi Berry treats, and they're all laid out, and then we waited. The invites had gone out, and we waited, and we waited. And none of the fuckers turned up! <laughs> I was a bit mortified, to be honest. So we sent them all these invites, did up all these mock plans, spent a few thousand pounds making this beautiful-looking scheme, um, and nobody turned up. Bastards. Anyway, the truth, the main stakeholders involved, the housing association and the housing executive, they were saying to themselves, we've got our scheme going on here, we're submitting plans to the planning office, and this bastard is trying to wedge himself in the middle of our business. And they'd have been right. That's exactly what I was trying to do. But the problem for them was that I had, by this stage, the support of the local community because they were really excited by the scheme. They were really excited by the 30 new jobs. They were really excited by the amazing drawings that I'd had, I'd had drawn up, albeit, to be, in truth, those particular designs could never have been built as they were totally fantastical. I had, to, I had them drawn up, really, to attract people in to the whole concept. Now, ultimately, I took, I think it was the third presentation before someone from the Housing Association actually turned up. And you've never seen someone come into a meeting so negatively, arms folded, as tight as a fucking clam. It was a clear indication of, I'm here under fucking duress and I'm not listening to you, you bastard. Anyway, little did they know uh, what they were in for. Um, in fact, there were a couple of them from the House Association um, 
you know the you know the sort of game shows where the loser gets gunged by slime. Well, they got gunged and so much fucking secret sauce, so much walrus energy in the presentation that halfway through the presentation, they relaxed and said, well, one of them said, I get it now. You're not just a developer looking to make a quick buck. You're a person who cares about making a difference. And by the way, your scheme is amazing and we got to find a way to do this. So I gave them so much secret sauce, I gunged them in the walrus energy. And they absolutely loved it, even though they came in determined not to like it. Now, that was music to my ears, because Henderson's at that stage didn't believe in my scheme, as they thought my plan, Taj Mahal of filling stations, was nothing more than a white elephant, and I could never get enough turnover to justify the huge cost that I was um, wanting to spend. That I wanted to do something for North Belfast to be proud of, not just knock up flipping something that looked like a super value in Hall or something like that, as one of the architects did in their plans for me. But anyway, after about six months working with the Housing Association, I got the nod that if I could get planning permission for my scheme, that the Housing Association would then support a land swap deal whereby they'd get the housing element and I'd get the land for the new 5,000 square foot uh, filling station. Now, the local community were absolutely delighted and the housing executive, I was told, had approved the plan also. Uh, although I'd never actually spoken to the housing executive about it, and it was a massive win-win for absolutely everybody. So, here's the conundrum. The housing association likes the plan. I've never spoken to the housing executive, but I'm told they approve. I have the support of the local community, and I have a desire to create a legacy and transform the area. Now, there are a number of issues to consider. Number one, the housing association has submitted their planning application so I have to agree to pay their planning application fees and all their architects' fees if this is to happen. That's number one, so I have to shed out a whole lot of money to them. Now, at the same time, there's now a rival planning application. It's too long to go into. There's a whole story behind this one. Maybe do a podcast episode one day in it also. But there's a rival planning application lodge just up the road for an alternative large petrol filling station, albeit that the location at that one isn't as good as the location of my one, but there's real-time pressure because it's going to be the person who gets there first is probably going to get first built. Number three, I'm also aware that my planning application will be problematic because the land is sown for housing and not for retail, and it's a corner site, which will be uh, mean it's difficult access for traffic getting in and out. Number four, Henderson's didn't believe in my Taj Mahal as a viable project as they thought that football wouldn't be there. So it's going against the grain, it's going against the people who knew uh, uh, or thought they knew what should happen at that site. Number five, this area has many challenges because of chronic underinvestment and because of the troubles over decades. Number six, finally and most importantly, I didn't own the land. <laughs> so I didn't own the land. So I'd be making the application on and making any investment and spending all this money at my own total risk because I didn't own the land and I didn't have control of it. But I believe deep, deep in my heart that if you build it, they will fucking come, my friends. They will fucking come if you build it. Now, it took me three different architects before I got a design that I really liked that was usable. And, and that wasn't cheap. Uh, it took me over two years in planning. Now, the whole thing was so difficult and complicated that I had to actually sack my roads consultant who swapped the exit and the entrance of the filling station round and submitted plans without telling me 
and by chance I found this out at the very last minute and actually retrieved the plans from the reception of the planning office just before they were opened. <laughs> Talk about a Northern Ireland mentality. He then refused to reverse the entrance and the exit to the way that I wanted it because economically I had to have the entrance from the main road um, and I had to go in an unusual way anti-clockwise because it was a corner site and he refused to swap them so I had to sack him and get another roads team and then do a resubmit and everything went wrong that could have gone wrong on that application believe me the whole process cost a hundred grand in fees over well over two years two and a half almost three years probably until um, we finally got planning and I was over the moon I thought I'd finally delivered the dream of transforming the neighbourhood by the way, in my initial pitch to the Housing Association, I said that my investment in the area would be the catalyst for others doing the same. And interestingly, during the period of my planning application, and I got made sure that word was getting out there, um, Ulster University decided to relocate, and I don't think they did that because of me, but I, I thought there was a chance of that. And a new five-star hotel was announced on the Crumlin Road Courthouse, less than 100 metres away, albeit the, pr the promoter of that has just gone bankrupt. And then there was a Girdwood sort of amenity and pitches an indoor facility that was built 300 metres away during this period of time and now Lidl have been announced and also Home Bargains have been announced just up the road from this location. So with all of that other development in the area, um, whilst I've been waiting for planning etc, I now have the full backing of the Henderson's Group, Henderson Group and also Barclays Bank because they can see the vision and they now believe in the Taj Mahal of North Belfast. Now, but this isn't the end of the story. As soon as I got the plan of permission <laughs> uh, for the 10 houses and the 5,000 square foot petrol filling station, 4,500 on the customer side, the housing executive announced that they were going to put the, the, the land on the market. Instead of doing the land swap, after it spent the 100 grand, the housing executive decided they were going to put the land on the market for sale rather than do the land swap. This felt like treachery felt like treachery if I'm honest and you might say it probably was I, I understand I say I understand but um, I don't know now, subsequently to be in truth I've been told that the housing executive knew they were never going to allow the land swap and there's good reasons for that as well I understand those in case there was any question of impropriety on their part now there wasn't I never spoke to them about this um, I just had a nod through the housing association that they um, thought it was a good idea or if not impropriety uh, maybe unfairness to others who may have had an interest in that land but no one else had been encouraged to spend a hundred grand getting the planning anyway interestingly the housing association dropped out at this point so this was the next leg housing association dropped out uh, they were probably scundered at what had happened with the housing executive to be honest now anyway there were a lot more twists and turns until ultimately the land was put on the market for bids um, and your bid you just didn't bid a price you had to put a full development plan together and that had to be submitted by lunchtime on the 6th of March 2020. Now, I had convinced myself that they'd award the sale to me even if I wasn't the highest offer as, as I, I practically had a lever arch folder of a development pro proposal including my history of the site, including my history of what I've done for North Belfast, and including the fact that I'd spent 100 grand on it with a with a sort of almost permission of doing so. Now, people were telling me that the housing executive didn't give a fuck about the fact 
the government spent all this money and put all this time and that they were only interested in the highest offer and the highest offer was going to win. Now I knew I was about to submit a really good offer um, for the land and that I probably would get it because um, it would be such a good price but I buckled under the advice in relation to the price at the very last minute. Buckled. And I actually added £1,000 to my bid just as I pressed send um, on my computer to the email of the agent who was selling the land. So I added £1,000. Now, in the scheme of what I'd been spending and what I was going to spend, £1,000 was a drop in the ocean. But it was a small and material change. And I'm not shitting you when I tell you that I won the sealed bid by 70 quid. 7 zero. I won it by 70 quid having added a thousand pounds to my bid at the very last minute. In fact, I'm told they had to check the bid several times just to confirm who the actual winner was because the numbers were so similar. And I've never been so relieved to listen to a little bit of advice that the price was the only determinant. But then, what happened then? Corona lockdown happened the following week and the sale couldn't be completed. Then during the time of the lockdown, an investigation was actually started into the sale. Now, it was nothing to do with me, but it was actually to do with the similarities between this land and an unrelated piece of land that the Northern Ireland Housing Executive apparently had, which was sold for residential and commercial. So ours was sold for residential and commercial, um, which was being challenged in the courts, apparently. Now, anyway, after a review by the Home Solicitor, our Home Office Solicitor in London, um, don't ask me how it ended up there, um, they decided that the sale could go ahead because I, I don't know what the hell they're even looking for. But anyway, the sale completed in November 2020, uh, just this month now. I've shortened, believe me, I, I could have been here all flipping day. I've shortened all the twists and turns and all the nail biting over the years. But this story is so important because it's a microcosm of what it takes to really create something which is bigger than yourselves bigger than yourself, greater than merely running a trading business. Now, we're now set um, upon uh, a 3.5 million uh, project which will bring essential service back into the area, which will transform this area. The ugly looking, we have the ugliest filling station in Northern Ireland, by the way, probably in the world, and anybody who knows will be able to confirm that, and we're turning it into the most beautiful petrol filling station in the country. Now, actually, I've included a link in the show notes so check out the show notes, include a link to a post I did on LinkedIn, so you can have a look at all the pictures, the 3D pictures I've drawn up. Now, it creates 10 much needed houses for the local community. It's creating 30 permanent new jobs, creating all the, the, the spend that there will be with the workmen and with the, with, with the building companies, etc. during the build, and that will be money coming into the, into the area. That will transform this part of North Belfast and will attract many other investors too. Very importantly to me, it will cement a legacy of my work there. Now, you could say that's vanity, but I tell you to go fuck away off the dickhead I really did. Alright, so as you go about, this is the important thing, as you go about your business today, I need you to open your eyes to the opportunities around you. Don't be spending the next 10 or 20 years running that corner shop or running that small business Start opening your eyes to the opportunities, the collaborations, the other stakeholders that are all around you. And I want, to, I want you to think uh, about what the opportunities are. And if you work on your business rather than in it, you could be doing some similar things. So here's little six points that I want you to think about from this episode that can really make a difference. So you can do stuff like this over the years ahead. 
So number one, make a wee Number one, be prepared to do your homework on opportunities. Once you've done that work, trust your gut and don't listen to the doubters. That's number one. Number two, do not live to the maximum of your earnings. You must have the capacity to reinvest in your business at all times when these sorts of opportunities come up. Number three, be prepared to lose money on biz dev, I was going to say biz dev opportunities, business development opportunities. Be prepared to lose money on business development opportunities. I lose money on a business development opportunity nearly every year. In this case, the loss was going to be a hundred grand. Okay. Some people can't understand my preparedness to take risks in this stuff. But the thing about it is, is sometimes they pay off in spades, just like this particular one has. It's going to secure my legacy and we bring it for the wall group and bring it for the area. So be prepared to lose money on business development opportunity. Number four, be so enthusiastic and be able to present your vision or idea to other stakeholders so you can turn doubters into believers like I did with the Housing Association when they felt the full force of the secret sauce. Be so enthusiastic with other stakeholders. Number five, think big and dream even bigger. If you don't, then none of this good stuff is going to happen. And number six, work your fucking ass off and never give up trying. Work your fucking ass off and never give up trying. So, we've gone a little longer in this episode today than we normally do, but I thought giving an insight into this project was a great real-life example of how this stuff happens and the ups and downs and the times when you thought it was never going to happen and the times you thought it was and you just have to plow, keep plowing your furrow and you can hopefully relate it back to something that's going on in your own life for some opportunity you have in your own business. By the way, we're currently putting together, just to let you know where that project is, we're per- currently putting together the tender pack on, on that project and we hope to have it tendered in early 2021. We hope to be breaking ground in April 2021. And we hope to have it done probably in a 10-month bill. And it's a really exciting time for the Wall Group, even more so as the team will be delivering this project without me being hands-on as I'm working away at the change. But I'm sure it will rise to the challenge. Thanks for joining me today, Wallerses. The big question, of course, is, so what are you going to be doing this week? Are you going to be clocking it in half asleep? Or are you going to be building a fucking legacy? Building a fucking legacy. It's your choice. <laughs>